Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Yes, uh, good morning, or good afternoon. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God uh, Biblical Instructional Program. I had a little problem with the mute button again. I apologize for that. Uh, today is uh, May 22, 2010. All right, so we're going to indefinitely, depending on the way things are looking in the world, uh, focus on uh, prophecy here because things are really, really getting pretty serious and uh, you probably have heard this before from other people but uh, I'm just going by not my intuition but I'm going by what is going on in the world right now in particular uh, this global um, problem that we have economic wise uh, it's, it's a big problem and I don't think people matter of fact I know people in this country in the United States are not taking it as serious as they should but hopefully after this Bible study, for those who are listening, uh, you will take it serious, because I'm going to give you some facts. I'm going to quote from scriptures and then give you some secular outside of the, the Bible or scripture facts and leave it up to you to do whatever you need to do to take action to make sure that uh, you'll be able to endure all these things that are going to come to pass here shortly. But anyway... Uh, we're going to start with uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. I suggest that you look up every one of these scriptures and don't be tired about it. Uh, you're not tired about your favorite television program or what you like. Uh, God wants you to have that same desire for him. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. States, a prudent man or wise man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You know, so God wants us to have common sense. Um, I, in certain uh, messianic circles and, and certain just 
people that are, call themselves Christians and, and fellowship and so forth. You, I get the sense that, that people just want to ignore prophecy. They, they, they don't want to really prophecy is future history. And they want to ignore it, and they just don't really take it. Say, so, well, you know, God will take care of me. When that time comes, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to prepare. I can just lay back, relax. You know, God loves me, and he'll protect me. But uh, that's not a scripturally-based sentiment or feeling. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, states this. states that by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became an heir an heir of the righteousness which is by faith so what is righteousness again ladies and gentlemen it's found in Psalm 119 verse 172 righteousness is all of God's commandments so so Noah kept all of God's commandments and in Luke chapter 17 goes along with this scripture in reference to Noah now remember uh, he counted it as righteousness and, and as trust or faith in God that he prepared his family for what was coming God warned him if you can remember the story of Noah God warned him that a catastrophic event would happen to the world and what did Noah do sit back and relax and say okay God you take care of everything no uh, Noah prepared his ark and got and, and and ended up protecting his family and the animals and the insects and all the other creatures that God wanted him to protect, two of each. Similarly, in Luke chapter 17, in verse 22, the greatest prophet of all time, uh, Yeshua Messiah Jesus Christ, stated this, Luke 17 verse 22 and he said unto them the disciples the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you shall not see it and they shall say to you see here or see there go not after them nor follow them verse 24 for as the lightning that lights out of one part under the heaven shineth unto the other part of under heaven so shall also the son of man be in his day verse 25 so in other words everyone's going to know he's coming back it's not going to be any secret rapture verse 25 but first must he suffered or allowed many things and be rejected of this generation, and he was rejected in that generation. And he's rejected in <laughs> pretty much all generations. But anyway, verse 26, and it, and as it was in the days of Noah, that's, that's the point, uh, part I wanted to get to. I just wanted to read the context. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. So I wanted to read that to you to, to, to help you to understand that just as Noah prepared for the great catastrophe of his time. We need to prepare for the great catastrophe that the Bible prophesies is going to happen in our time. Now, the good thing about our time is that God is not going to destroy the entire planet like he did before. He's not going to, he promised not to destroy all life. However, he's going to use fire to purify the earth. That's the difference between Noah's situation and our situation. And and uh, he promised not to destroy all life, but unfortunately, when I read certain scriptures to you today, you'll understand that quite a bit of, of mankind and animal kind will be destroyed before he comes back. And it's not his fault. It's because of our sins that will cause this collectively as a human race. Okay, um, and then I'll read uh, verse 27 here in Luke chapter 17. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage. In other words, life was, you know, everyone was doing.
what they wanted to do and so forth. They had no clue that a, a great catastrophe was going to happen. Well, let me say that they did because the Bible does state that he was a preacher of righteousness, so he did preach to people. He witnessed to people what was going to happen, and nobody listened, and, and that's the way it is today. Uh, with, with the global economy, people are, are just trying to act like everything is okay and things will be the way it always has been. And, and ladies and gentlemen, with and you may have not heard this before, but we have a, a, a debt right now of $74 trillion. I don't think I've heard any politician on national TV address the fact that our national debt, our debt that has accumulated over the years, over the years since uh, the 1960s, and for proof of this, you can uh, Google this, is the United States national debt from 1938 to present. If you just go ahead and Google that, and it's by a Steve, then M as in mothers, small c as in cat, G, uh, capital G as in goat, O-U-R-T-Y, he did a, a pretty nice study here, a historical perspective. And he has a graph here that's pretty interesting. When you, when you look at this graph, in 1938, we didn't have hardly any debt. And in fact, we didn't have any. 1938, 1934. Then, of course, during the war, and during World War II, it started to rise. And then in the, during the Korean War, in the, in the 50s, it rose slightly, just slightly. And then the Vietnam War. But when Kennedy got assassinated, and then in the latter parts of uh, the 60s and in the early 70s, you can start to see that it's, it's starting to rise. And then in the 1980s, it started to, to rise a little more. And then in the 80s, boy, did it start rising. And then during the years of the Reagan administration and then the Bush, the first Bush administration, it rose. And then under the, the Clinton administration, it it didn't rise as much. It went down during his uh, tenure as president. And then in, after the year 2000, when, Bush got, when, when George Bush II got in there, it skyrocketed. And that's where we're at right now. All right, so it, it, it kind of helps to, to get a historical perspective on this, that our debt that we have is recent and it, it has accumulated since the 1960s, but it really started to to start to grow in the 1980s during the Reagan administration and then the, the, the first Bush administration. And then it started to fall back a little bit under the Clinton administration. And then after the Clinton administration, which ended in, in uh, 2000, uh, toward the, the, the uh, last part of 2000, then Bush got in there and military spending skyrocketed. And, and that really has contributed to us being... $74 trillion in debt, and that includes uh, Social Security, Medicaid, all of our other entitlement programs, and so forth. And, and the media, unfortunately, is not telling you the truth. They're not telling you the truth. And that's my job, and that's what any uh, uh, minister or servant of God's job is, to tell you the truth, tell you what's really going on, and... and um, for proof of this, go to this website. For proof of the fact that we are $74 trillion in debt, go to The Truth in 2008. They should change that URL to 2010, but, but they have it. TheTruthIn2008.org. Again, TheTruthIn2008.org to, to understand how we're $74 trillion in debt. Now, I've explained to you that we must prepare for the great catastrophe that 
has its genesis occurring as I'm speaking. And in Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 34, it states, And take heed to yourselves that at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, or weighed down. That's what overcharged means, with surfeiting. Surfeiting means carousing, partying, and drunkenness, and cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. He's talking about the catastrophe that's going to start the tribulation. And we all need to take heed to these words. Uh, we, we, especially in, in the United States, as spoiled as we are, uh, we, we, we just get so wrapped up in entertainment and our sports and, 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 and Iron Man and all these other movies that this takes our mind away from reality. And we can't allow that to happen, and that's what he's saying here. We, we have to wake up and realize our predicament here. Verse 35, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Of course, those who are surfeiting and, and partying and, and, and just too much focus on trying to make a living. And he, and he warns us here in verse 36, watch. He tells us watch because we're not going to know everything. We're not going to know every little nick and cranny of prophecy. So he tells us to watch so that we, we, we can find out when or approximate or estimate or guesstimate when these things will occur that he has outlined here in the scriptures. Verse 36, watch you therefore and pray always that you may be worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So he's telling you that it's, it's a possibility that you can escape all these things. That could mean dying before the tribulation. That could mean being miraculously protected. As Psalm chapter 91, I recommend you read that. That's a real good, especially now in these end times, you need to read and meditate on that because you're going to need it. You're going to need it. You're going to need that miraculous protection by, by Almighty God. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, But at the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, as they're saying now, they say everything's okay, the world's all right, and there's something wrong. Then shall sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So if you're a true believer of God, you're not going to be in darkness. None of these things are going to surprise you. That that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So he doesn't want us to be spiritually drunk on looking at Avatar or Star Wars or just thinking your life is all about work, come home, um, have sex, you know, uh, play with the kids and, and go to bed and get up. I mean, that's not what life's all about, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's, it's a part of what life's about, but it's not what life is totally about. Life is about caring about other people and helping other people reach their goals and sharing your possessions and your resources and your knowledge and your intelligence and your love with each other. That's what life is about. It's not about you and yourself and I. And unfortunately, this generation Y in particular is really, really selfish and all about themselves. And it really began during the baby boom generation, but around the 1940s, uh, in particular around 1945, 1946. But it's continuing on, this, this utter selfishness and, and, 
total all about me and you know all I care about is myself and nobody else attitude that is really really has exploded here with the generation Y a segment of the population of the world. All right, so in verse 6 of First Thessalonians, it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith or trust and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. All right, so that's very important for us to understand. And in Proverbs chapter 29, for those who think prophecy has nothing to do with uh, the commandments of the Torah or the teachings of God, uh, Proverbs chapter 29, Proverbs chapter 29, starting in verse 18, it says, Where there is no vision, and that word vision in the original Hebrew means prophetic vision or revelation. When there is no revelation, prophetic vision, the people perish. So if you don't want to perish, and if you're alive, <laughs> you better pay attention to what I'm going to tell you today. Uh, all I'm going to do is quote the scriptures and back it up with secular sources. So please pay attention, because I'm sure you don't want to perish. I'm sure you don't want to perish. All right, it says, but he that keepeth the law, colon, continue to talk, but he that keeps the law or the Torah, that's what law means in the original Hebrew, it means the teachings of God, happy is he. That's one of the ways that you have happiness, by keeping the law, and the law is linked with future history or prophecy. So it's very important. And in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, Starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. Now, are you a servant of God? I'm going to list some characteristics, and you test yourself and see if you are truly a servant of God. But anyway, it says uh, right here, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which shortly must come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John. So God the Father gave this revelation or knowledge to Jesus Christ, or Yeshua Messiah. He gave it to his angel, and then the angel gave it to his servant, John. Um, God's servant, John, or Yeshua's servant, John. Verse 2, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Yeshua Messiah and all the things that he saw. And verse 3, blessed is he that reads and they that hear or understand the words of this prophecy or future history and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And it's talking about the time of the 21st century, ladies and gentlemen. It's talking about the days that we're living in today. And in particular, I want to focus on the third seal today, which is, if it hasn't begun, is getting ready to begin. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 5 to 6, it says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, which is, it represents or symbolic of economy. Verse 6, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny. So you're going to get a measure of wheat for just a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And my little uh, notes here in my King James Study Bible uh, states here that the third seal represents inflation and famine. Uh, that's quoted from Matthew 24, verse 7. The balances or scales are related to commerce and trade, economics. The word penny, better transla transliterated, denarius, represented about one day's wages. Wheat and barley were considered necessities of life. So God is telling us that necessities of life are going to be very difficult to come by. 
And they are now, as I'm going to prove to you. A measure was about one quart. The price given is about ten times what was normal, inflation. The command, hurt not the oil and the wine, may indicate a restriction on the effects of the famine in this early part of the tribulation. So, so what the third seal is about is inflation, worldwide inflation, global inflation. And that's what we have right now, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm speaking. Now, some people may be concerned, well, why is God going to allow these things to happen? Or why is God going to punish us? Well, you know, God doesn't want to punish any of us, ladies and gentlemen, but we're particularly Israelites are stubborn, you know, and we are a part of Israel. If you don't believe that, uh, go to www.britam.org, B-R-I-T-A-M.org, and find out for yourself. Uh, the people that live in the United States, Canada, Northwestern Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, you are all a part of Israel. Israel was not just the tribe of Judah and Levi, which are considered Jews today. So Israel is also a part of uh Israel also has ten other tribes that historians say that are lost, but they're only lost to people who don't know who they are. It's not lost to me, and it won't be lost to you if you go and prove this for yourself. Uh, go to Britam.org, B-R-I-T-A-M.org, and find out for yourself. So anyway, I had to explain that again. In Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26, Verse 9 says, With my soul have I desired thee in thy night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So this is the reason why God is going to allow these things to happen, which are caused by us, not by him, because of our sins. He's going to allow judgments to be on the earth, punishments, so that we will finally learn righteousness and righteousness is keeping god's commandments and collectively uh, as a as, as a human race we are not the majority anyway are not keeping his commandments and that's why we have tremendous problems in the world today in john chapter 4 john chapter 4 john chapter 4 Verse 48 states this. He says, and Jesus stated this, and this applies today to He says, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So God is going to give you miraculous signs and wonders, supernatural signs and wonders, and you will believe. The majority of people will wake up. Quite a few people will finally wake up and say, hey, you know, I think I better start obeying the great God. And that's the reason why he's going to allow these things on the earth now. As I was telling my friend Nelson last week, or I think during, you know, last week, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 to 10, God has this this law that I don't hear too many ministers preach, uh, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Jeremiah 18, and I hope that if there are any ministers listening to me, you start preaching this as well. Jeremiah 18, verse 7 to 10 at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. So, you know, he all throughout the prophetic scriptures, he does talk about certain nations uh, being plucked up and destroyed. Uh, verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil. So this is what he wants. He wants us to turn from our evil. I will repent 
or change his mind of the evil that he thought to do unto them. Okay, so if any world, if anyone has access to any world leaders, let them understand this. Let them start studying their Bible and and and, and influencing the people that they they rule over to to start to obey the God of the Bible, not the God of what someone else thinks, but the God of this Bible. That's what they need to start doing. Uh, Jeremiah chapter eighteen. Verse 9, it says, At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, or to do good to it? Uh, verse 10, If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good whereof I said I would benefit them. Now, you know, this script is interesting because I know the Jews, they preach false doctrine around saying that uh, the, the law is just for them, the Torah is just for them, and there's only, I think it's seven uh, laws that the rest of mankind need to keep, and that you don't get this by... What he's saying here, he's saying if a nation, any nation, don't obey him. So obviously this indicates that he expects all nations to obey his law. All right, so that that's something that, again, has been a great lie that's been totally, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the proper word, has been totally uh, passed on by the devil all throughout the history of man. Now, who are the servants of God? Because you need to know what a servant of God is because, as I t stated to you before, if you're not a servant of God, your odds of being protected is not very well uh, of all the catastrophes that are about to occur. So we need to know what a true servant of God is. So let's turn to Matthew because I did touch on this a little bit last week, but I want to go into further detail because it's very important. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. You have to make sure that you are a true servant of God. And Christ said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you're humble, you're compassionate, and, and you want to help people. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, I would say that a lot of people don't hunger and thirst to obey God. They hunger and thirst for food, especially people in this country. But uh, he said, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled both spiritually and physically if you hunger and, and thirst after righteousness. It doesn't say if you hunger and thirst uh, for food that you will. But if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is the, the desire to want to obey God's commandments. Verse 7, blessed are, are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, you... You you do the best you can to purify your mind from wickedness. You don't want to see any evil or be around any evil. He says, you shall see God, God the Father. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You're not a child of God if you don't want peace. I'm going to explain to you what peace is. Uh, verse 10, well, actually, let's turn to the scripture here and understand what peace is all about. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law. So you have to love the law of God or the teachings of God or his commandments. And then, uh, colon, continue the thought, and nothing shall offend them or make them fall. And verse 166, Lord, I have hope for thy salvation. And how do you hope for the salvation? How do you hope for God's salvation? By doing his commandments. That's how you hope for the salvation of, of, of God, by uh, doing the commandments. That's right in, your, in, in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 165 to 166. Okay, so he's telling you that uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted, 
for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says in verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you or hate you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And he's telling us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great. He's saying great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. Okay, so that is one characteristic I don't think is touched on too much. But true servants of God, true believers of God are persecuted. And they're put down and especially lied on a lot. They are, you know, and let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 for another version of this, uh, additional information. Luke 6 verse 20 states, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So in the other version, he stated those who are, have a humble and a compassionate to the poor, you don't have necessarily in that context be poor, but you could care about the poor like Job did. Job cared about the poor. He was rich, but he cared about the poor. And then over here he's saying, blessed are the poor, those who are really poor. Verse 20, and blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are they that weep now, for you shall laugh. Verse 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And he's telling us to rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, and we even suppose a leap when we get persecuted. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers into the prophets. So all the prophets were persecuted, all the prophets were put down, and all the prophets were hated, according to what he's saying here by the majority of Israel. Verse 24, he says, but woe, woe, or danger unto you, unto you that are rich. So he's saying, be careful now if you're rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, that you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. The false prophets are spoken well of. You don't want to be a false prophet, or you don't want to... Uh, follow a false prophet's teachings. So, you know, this world, this evil world by the devil, the world likes his own. But if you're not of the world, you're not going to be well spoken of of the world, ladies and gentlemen. You have to, to get away from that. And if you're looking for praise in the world, you're not going to get it. That's what the scriptures are telling you. So, that is, uh, those are the characteristics of the servants of God. Let's go over them again. You're poor in spirit and you can be poor in spirit and, and wealthy or you can also just be physically poor. Um, they mourn. They're, they are meek or humble. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're pure in, in, in their mind and what they think about. They're peacemakers and they are persecuted. And in Second Timothy, well, let's look at the persecution part again because that's very important. Luke 14 Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 27, states, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So if you're going to say, I love Jesus, 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 and you don't want to do what he says and don't want to follow his example, uh, God tells you that you're a phony. Let's turn to 1 John. And you may not like that statement, but I can back it up. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John. Chapter 2, it says, He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 
So you should obey his commandments. He said he obeyed his father's commandments in John chapter 15. We should obey the father's commandments as well. And if you don't want to do that, then you are not a follower of Yeshua Messiah. And you are not a true servant of God. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beginning in verse 12. He says, yes, and all that will live godly in Yeshua Messiah, or, or Jesus Christ, shall suffer persecution. So you will get persecuted. Believe me, I know. <laughs> you will get persecuted. People are not going to like you. So I hope you understand who the true servants of God are. And they embrace the truth. And the truth is, is found in Psalm 119, verse 142, a definition of what truth is. Actually, in a few other places it is, but this is a, a good scripture to memorize or write down. Psalm 119, verse 142. Turning to it here now. Psalm 119, verse 142 states... That truth says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, so it lasts forever, keeping the commandments. And thy law is the truth, or the Torah, the truth. Thy law, or the Torah, rather, the Torah is truth. And if you want a definition of truth, a simple definition, memorize Psalm 119, verse 142. Okay, now, let's get to the global economy in the last 56 minutes that I have here. I'm going to try to simplify this and break this down as easy as I can. Um, because I know I have a general audience, and you know I, I, I try to, to break things down as easy as I can so that anyone can understand what I'm talking about. All right. So is the global economy recovering? You have CNN and all these other media outlets saying, well, the economy, uh, things are recovering and things are getting better and all that, you know. And and that's not true, ladies and gentlemen. I just I'm looking at a recent headline. Well, actually, not so recent, but it was in February. The headline from the New York Times, which is was in a reputable source here, uh, February 21st, 2010. It says the new poor, millions of unemployed face years without jobs. And this is by Peter S. Goodman. Uh, he says even as the American economy shows tentative signs of a rebound, and that's a lie because it's not. The human toll of the recession continues to mount. It's not is really uh, beginning stages of a depression, continues to mount with millions of Americans remaining out of work, out of savings, and nearing the end of their unemployment benefits. So, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we are in a real a serious situation. That's the reason why I decided that I need to start focusing a little bit more on, on prophecy here. Uh, I need to start warning people. Uh, you know, God has given me the gift of understanding, uh, not perfectly, but enough to be able to teach anyway the prophetic scriptures. And so I'm going to do the best I can uh, to tell people that, yes, you are living in the in the generation that God is going to be coming back here. And we need to start preparing and we need to wake up and, and uh, realize that terrible things are about to occur soon on this earth. And we need to be prepared to deal with it. We need to wake up, need to get our hand out of our heads, rather, and maybe hands too, out of the sand and wake up. And realize that what what it, what it states here in Jeremiah chapter sixteen. So one of the greatest prophecies ever written, but most people I know don't even turn to it. Uh, Jer I don't know where is that. Jeremiah chapter sixteen verse nineteen. O Lord, my strength and fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles 
shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies. It's talking about everybody. Vanity and things uh, wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself and there are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, that they shall know that my name is the Lord, or Yehovah, or Yahweh, or YHWH. They will know his true name. That's, that, that's what he's saying there. And then Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, God prophesied through the apostle and prophet John, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, states this. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth or tricks the entire world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So that's a companion scripture or a scripture to help you understand Jeremiah 16. Now, God is telling us that our fathers have been lied to. Our, our past generations have been lied to. We can't assume that our parents told us everything right. And you can't assume that their parents, of your parents, told them everything right. Because God's telling you, God, not me, he's telling you that it did not happen that you did not get perfect knowledge from your parents. And too many children today act like they have. Now, it's not disrespectful to your parents to realize that they have been wrong and to acknowledge that. You're not disrespecting your parents because God has told you through the prophet Jeremiah and through the apostle John that this whole world has been tricked, deceived. So, each and every one of you that are listening to me right now, you need to examine what you think you know. You need to examine what you think you know to make sure that it is true. Because I guarantee you, some of the things you know now are not true. And I have been on a journey since I asked God to reveal himself to me. Help me to understand the Bible or just kill me. Since I was 16 years old, and God has been um, cleaning my mind of all the deception that I accumulated over the years, not just through my parents, but also just being in the world from from my teachers, from all kinds of people. So it's not just my parents. You know, my parents they didn't know any better. They learned from their parents, and, and vice versa. We all learn from our parents. That's the first people we learn from. But God has told us in Jeremiah chapter 16 that those parents, our fathers, have inherited lies. You need to focus on that scripture. It's very important. God is telling you that something's wrong, that you need to unlearn some things. And I'm telling you that. Okay. Um, is the global economy recovering? A big fat note. Right? Uh, you need to jot this this reference down. This is one of the most concise websites that address, addresses the real problem that, that this world has had, really, since uh, the days of Noah and after the flood and everything. Poverty Facts and Stats. Um, the website address is www.globalissues.org. That's Global Issues, G as in GOAT, L-O-B as in boy, A-L-I-S-S-U as in underdog, E as in elephant, S as in snake.org www.globalissues.org. All right. 
And when you go to the website, click on Poverty Facts and Stats. Very well-researched website. If you don't believe what he's saying, he has references to back up everything that he's saying, basically, or almost everything. Now, at least 80% of humanity, at least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. That really sums up the problem here, <laughs> but I'm going to go on. More than 80% of the world's population lives in countries where income differentials are widening. So that's more than 80% of the world's population lives in countries where income differentials are widening. You're not going to hear Obama or, or some other politician tell you these things. All right, You have to find these things out for yourself. The poorest 40% of the world's population accounts for 5% of global income. The richest 20% accounts for three-quarters, or 75%, of world income. According to UNICEF, 24,000, some say 24, some say 25, some say 26, I'll just say 24, 24,000 children die each day due to poverty. And they die quietly in some of the poorest villages on the earth, far removed from the scrutiny and the, and the conscience of the world, being meek and weak in life, makes these dying multitudes even more invisible in death. That's sad, but that's what's going on. As I'm speaking, another 24,000 children will die because they don't have enough food or the basic necessities of life. How can that happen? Well, because we have great wickedness in the world, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen. And this quote is very revealing from the United Nations. This is from their own book. It's called The Inequality Predicament. A Report on the World Social Condition, 2005, pages 1 and pages 9 to 10. It says the global commitment, the global commitment to overcoming inequality or readdressing, or redressing rather, the imbalance between the wealth and the poor as clearly outlined in the 1995 World Summit for Social Development in Copenhagen and endorsed in the United Nations Millennium Declaration is fading. 80% 80% of the world's gross domestic product, the gross domestic product, measures the total market value of all goods and services produced within a country's borders. So, I just wanted to define that. 80% of the world's gross domestic product belongs to the 1 billion people living in a developed world like the United States and Israel and Britain. The remaining 20% is shared by the 5 billion people living in developing countries. Failure to address this inequality predicament will ensure that social justice and better living conditions for all people remain elusive or not reached, and that communities, countries, and regions remain vulnerable uh, remain vulnerable to social. Okay, let me repeat this again. Failure to address this inequality predicament will ensure that social justice and better living conditions for all people remain elusive, and that communities countries and regions remain vulnerable to social, political, and economic upheaval. And that's what we're going through right now. It is profoundly disturbing that in a world in which unprecedented, unprecedented levels of wealth, technical expertise, and scientific and medical knowledge have been attained, it is the most vulnerable in society that consistently lose ground during economic booms. So it's saying when there's economic booms, the most vulnerable don't benefit from it. That's sad. And this is from the United Nations, ladies and gentlemen. One of the most visible byproducts of globalization is access to new kinds of wealth and its propensity to increase inequality. So that's one of the most visible byproducts of globalization. 
is access to new kinds of wealth and its propensity to increase inequality. The globalization has helped to accentuate trends that show the wealthiest 20% of the planet accounting for 86% of all private consumption and the poorest accounting for just 1% unless some headway is made in refocusing economic policies to help those left behind. Progress towards poverty reduction remains uncertain. That's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. According to the World Watch Institute State of the World 2004 Consumption by the Numbers Report, it states that annual spending on the following items, it states the following spending on, on these items. Makeup. We spend over $18 billion on makeup. Now, is that a need? No. We spend $15 billion on perfume. Is the, ladies, is that really a need? Ocean cruises is $14 billion. That certainly isn't a need, ocean cruises. Ice cream, please, $11 billion. Now, additionally, the United States spends $14 billion on a filter pornography, and worldwide pornography spending is $57 billion a year. That's what it would be. According to Wikipedia.com article, Gambling in the United States, in 2005, gambling had 2005 gross revenues of $84.65 billion. See, all of our monies are going to our lusts and desires, and it's not going where it should go, to help poor people on the earth. That is the problem. It is so simple, and yet man wants to complicate things and make things complicated. But it's so simple, the problem. I don't need to be, have a doctor's degree in economics to understand what the problem is. All you or anyone else needs to do, including myself, is to read the Bible and use the Bible to get real knowledge and truth. Use the Bible as a guide or as a filter to filter the, the truth from things that are false, and then you'll understand what's going on. It says all these luxuries, and luxuries are things you don't need, all these luxuries add up to $213.65 billion. That's $213.65 billion, ladies and gentlemen. Luxuries are things that we don't need for survival, as I stated before. Luxuries are wants, not needs. Luxuries are pleasures. There is nothing wrong with pleasures. However, if you pursue pleasures that will harm you and another person or groups of people, it is wrong. Also, if you spend money on pleasures and you know that you can help your fellow human being from starving or from dying from a disease and you refuse to contribute, then you have sin. And to back that up, let's turn to First John. First John chapter two. First John chapter two. First John chapter two, starting in verse fifteen. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? So what I just named to you, the $213.65 billion, is the world. It's, it's what the world wants. It's what the world wants to do. In verse 16 of, of 1 John 2, verse 16, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world passes away, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to pass away. It's going to be burnt up, okay, and purified. Verse 17, and the world passeth away in the lust there, but he that does the will of God abides forever, forever. 
Now, reproductive health care, elimination of hunger and malnutrition, universal literacy, clean drinking water for all, and immunizing every child will only cost $47.3 billion per year, ladies and gentlemen. And here we are spending $213.65 billion on our lusts and desires, and yet it only costs much more cheaper, $47.3 billion, that's what's a big dollars a year, to provide everyone in the world reproductive health care, elimination of hunger and malnutrition, universal literacy, clean drinking water for all, and immunizing every child. Now, the U.S. can easily afford that every year. You know, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett can afford that, but that wouldn't be fair to just have them do it, you know. But, but the point of the matter is that we can afford it because we have the most billionaires in this country. And all the 34 uh, developed countries, which includes the United States, should be able to, to each contribute $1.4 billion per year, thus providing the necessary monies to provide reproductive health care, elimination of hunger and malnutrition, universal literacy, clean drinking water, and immunization of, immunization, rather, immunization of every child. So all these developed countries, these countries that are rich or well-off, they can afford, they, they definitely can afford $1.4 billion, each of them, to be able to eliminate poverty. According to the United Nations, the elimination of worldwide hunger and disease will cost $195 billion a year, so it would be more than $1.4 billion, but they still can afford it. Well, the $213.65 billion that the U.S. and the world spend on unnecessary luxuries can be used to, to help eliminate worldwide poverty. All right, so that's very important to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that, that God, he desires for humankind to help one another. And the reason why we really have a problem in the world today is because of the failure of the majority of people in the world. They're not willing to do that. They're not willing to help one another, and not, they're not willing to share their resources with each other, and thereby eliminating poverty. People want to keep their wealth to themselves, and they don't want to share it with other people. And what that is doing is causing a bunch of problems here. And, you know, God, he desires equal distribution of resources and by the way i'm trying to find the um the information yeah i've got that inf the information about what we're spending uh, on perfumes and all that i got that from the worldwide institute uh if you type in in google worldwide institute and then state of the world 2004 consumption by the numbers worldwide institute state of the world 2004 consumption by the numbers you will get all this information that i just quoted to you about um what we spend, what our mind is really on, and what we really desire collectively. And then right here, it states here, I might as well read this while I have it here, it says, can money buy happiness? It says, declining happiness, findings from the World Value Survey, an assessment of life satisfaction in more than 65 countries conducted between uh, 1990 and 2000 indicate that income and happiness tend to track well until about $13,000 of annual income per person. After that, additional income appears to yield only modest additions and self-reported happiness. So, you know, making a lot of money is not going to make you happy, ladies and gentlemen. It really isn't. And, you know, in particular in this country, we need to get our focus off that, making money. You know, we, we should make money to help one another, not to, to say I'm somebody. You're nobody, according to God, if you're making a lot of money, according to Luke chapter 12, and you don't want to share it with people. But anyway... God desires equal distribution of resources, and he commands us to help the poor to overcome poverty. 
That is the reason why we're having this global problem right now, ladies and gentlemen. And these scriptures um, are found in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 to 15. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 to 15, that I'm about to quote you here. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 14 to 15. So I'm going to read this and combine these scriptures and read it, and then we're going to further our discussion here. It says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. And that's what's going on right now. The rich are eased and the poor are burdened. But by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. God wants equality. I mean, many people call that socialism. Well, is the right way to do socialism. <laughs> That's what it is. As it is written, he who got it much had nothing left over, and he who got it little had no lack. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or soldier, that he may live with you. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide, not little, wide, to him and willingly lend him, give him a loan with no interest, him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. That's where we get the bankruptcy law from, even though the bankruptcy law definitely is not the way it's outlined here in the Bible because right now the current bankruptcy law in the United States, they do not allow you to... to um, uh, wipe out your student loans, and uh, they have certain rules and regulations on, on what assets they can take and what assets they can't take. So the bankruptcy laws become <laughs> somewhat oppressive, more oppressive than it should be. Well, it shouldn't be oppressive at all, but in some elements of it anyway, it's oppressive. But God's bankruptcy law is to totally relieve you of your debts, so you don't have to be concerned about them anymore, any debts that you have says, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts, but whoever has his world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Again, if you're filthy rich and you see somebody that needs help and you don't help them, as he states here, but whoever has his world's goods and sees his brother in need or his fellow human being in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So that, that's very, very, very distinctive, and that's referring back to the situation with Cain and Abel. He hated his brother, and he murdered him, and that's what that's referring to there. And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. We are all our brother's keeper, our fellow human being's keeper. Okay, our neighbor is our fellow human being, as defined in Luke chapter 9. You know, so so we, we need to stop, uh, for those who are, we need to, to, to get with the program here and realize that, that uh, God wants us to help. He wants us to help uh, our fellow human beings, and he wants us to really truly care about them and to... Just like um, like this one guy, he had asked, and you know, I'm looking at Luke chapter ten. It's in Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-seven, and he and he answered and said, "Thou shalt love thy neighbor, thy, thy wait a minute, I'm sorry, 
Luke chapter 10, verse 27, he answered, saying, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. In verse 28, and he said to him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and you shall live. And then in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? <laughs> and so he gives a story about um, this Samaritan uh, and this one Jew. Well, let me just read the whole thing here. Uh, this is important. A certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed him, leaving him to half dead. First order, and by chance there came down a certain priest. So this is a Levitical priest of the tribe of Levi. It says, uh, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on him by the way. And I can relate to that today. I, I, uh, whenever I did have the money, I, I did give to the people out in the street that needed help. But I see many people that just pass on by and don't don't help these individuals. But anyway, uh, in verse 32, and likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came. So this wasn't a priest, but he was a Levite. And so you would, he's using Levite and priest because you would think that the Levitical priests who teach the law of God and, and uh, participate in the sacrifices at the temple, they would be the closest to God, right? But no, he, he's saying in some cases they are not. In verse 32, and likewise, a Levite. When he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by the other side, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, and that Samaritan was considered a Gentile, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, or he cared about him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, or in the morning, when he departed, he took out two pence, or denarii, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So that was awful nice of him to do that. He didn't know this person. But he realized because this person is a human being like him, and, and he had resources, he decided to help him. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to treat every human being like that. Verse 36, he says, well, Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell unto the thieves? Now he's answering his question. He said, Who is my neighbor? And in verse 37, he said unto him, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus to him, Go and do thou likewise. So again, that's another one of the things that that Christ has commanded us to do if we call ourselves true followers of him. And we should help our fellow human beings. Our fellow human beings are considered our neighbors. Okay. Proverbs 30, verse 14 is a very significant scripture for you to understand. Proverbs 30, verse 14. Proverbs 30, verse 14. So uh, what I'm trying to explain to you, ladies and gentlemen, in, in a simple, godly way, is that the real reason why we're having economic problems is because we collectively don't care about one another like we should. That is the real reason. That is the real reason, and we have to repent of that as a human race for this problem to stop. If we don't, it's going to continue to stop, and all the prophecies are going to be fulfilled as they are outlined here in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 30 starting at verse 14. There is a generation. There is a generation. It's talking about this generation in the 21st century. Generation Y, whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And that's what we're doing right now. That's what the rich are doing to the poor. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read this in a, 
other version here so you'll get the full impact of what's going on here as I'm speaking to this society and to this world. And the basic, um, the Bible in basic English, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but be certain of this, that in the last days, times of trouble will come, or perilous times will come. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of self, and that's what I just explained to you about generation Y. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, uplifted in pride, given to bitter words, lovers of money, always focusing on money, given to bitter words, going against the authority of their fathers, never giving praise, having no religion, without natural love, bitter haters, saying evil of others, violent and uncontrolled, hating all good, false to their friends, acting without thought, lifted up in mind, loving pleasures, more than God, having a form of religion, but they're you know they're they're faking it, but turning their backs on the power of it, go not with these, for these are they who go secretly into houses, making prisoners of foolish women, weighted down with sin, turned from the way, turned from the way by their evil desires, ever learning and never, never coming to the knowledge of what is true. And that is that that describes our society today, ladies and gentlemen. Second Peter, we have our, our, our doc, we have many people that are scholars, have doctor's degrees and so forth, but, but they lack the truth. They, they don't know the truth like they should. And then Second Peter, second, no, second Peter rather, Second Peter, chapter three, starting in verse one, it says, "My loved ones, this is now my second letter to you, and in this as in the first, I am attempting to keep your true minds awake, so that you may keep in mind the words of the holy prophets in the past." And the Torah, a law of God, and the Savior, which was given to you by his apostles, having, first of all, the knowledge that in the last days there will be men who, ruled by their evil desires, will make sport of holy things, saying, Where is the hope of his coming, from the Messiah's coming? From the death of the fathers till now, everything has gone on as it was from the making of the world. And so, you know, they, they, you know people today have this attitude. They don't think God's going to come back. They don't think any of these prophecies are being fulfilled. But they are. They are, as I'm speaking. Verse 5, but in taking this view, they put out of their minds the memory that in the old days there was a heaven and an earth lifted out of the water and circled by the water by the word of God. Verse 6, and that the world which then was came to an end through the overflowing of the waters. So it says, and that the world which then was came to an end through the overflowing of the waters. Verse 7, but the present heaven and the present earth have been kept for destruction by fire, which is waiting for them on the day of the judging and destruction of evil men. Okay, so that that's God's words, ladies and gentlemen. You need to take heed to them. And let's turn to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24. I'm going to stick with the basic, um, the Bible in basic English here. Isaiah chapter 24, for clarity's sake. Isaiah chapter 24, starting in verse 1. says, See, the Lord is making the earth waste and unpeopled. He is turning it upside down and sending the people in all directions. That's what he's doing right now as I'm speaking, ladies and gentlemen. He's started that process. Verse 2, And it will be the same for the people as for the priest, for the servant as for his master, and for the woman, servant as for her owner, the same for the one offering goods for a price as for him who takes them, the same for him who gives money at interest and for him who takes it, the same for him who lets others have the use of his property as for those who make use of it. In other words, everybody's going to suffer, even the rich. Verse 3, the earth will be completely waste. It's not waste right now, but it will be if we don't repent. The earth will be completely waste and without men, for this is the word of the Lord. The earth is sorrowing and wasting away. The world is full of grief and wasting away. The high ones of the earth come to nothing. 
So the big, proud people are going to come to nothing. Verse 5, the earth has been made unclean by those living in it because the laws, the laws of God, have not been kept by them. The orders or regulations have been changed. We changed the law. God didn't change it. We did. And the internal agreement, which is the agreement to keep his law, has been broken. Verse 6, this is the reason for this cause the earth is given up to the curse. The curse of what? The curse of the law, which is outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26. And those in it are judged as sinners. For this cause, those living on the earth are burnt up, and the rest are small in numbers. So God is telling us that the population of the world is going to be small in number. Unless, of course, we collectively as a human race repent. Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. Starting in verse 11. It says, And I will send punishment on the world for his evil. So if anyone thinks that God is not going to punish his world for his, e for his evil, well, that scripture uh, will rebuttal that reasoning. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11. And I will send punishment on the world for his evil and on the sinners for their wrongdoing. And I will put an end to all pride and will make low the power of the cruel. I will make men so small in number that a man will be harder to get than gold, even the best gold of Oprah. Verse 13, for this cause the heavens will be shaking and the earth will be moved out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of armies and in the day of his burning passion. And it states here, and it will be that like a row in flight and like wandering sheep, they will go every man to his people and to his land. Everyone who is overtaken will have a spear put through him and everyone who goes in flight will be put to the sword. Their young children will be broken up before them. Their goods will be taken away, and their wives made the property of others. See, I am driving the Medes against them, who put no value on silver and have no pleasure in gold. In their hands are bows and spears. They are cruel, violently putting the young men to death and crushing the young women. They have no pity for children and no mercy for the fruit of the body. Verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, a beautiful town which is in the pride of the Chaldeans, will be like God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen. I have to tell you, I can't sugarcoat things. But the good news is this. We turn to Psalm 12, verse 5. Psalm 12, verse 5. And the reason why we're headed there is because collectively we don't want to obey God. That is, it's very simple. We don't want to get this Bible and start obeying it. Psalm 12, and you think God's going to put up with our disobedience? He's going to let us sin indefinitely? No, he's not. Eventually he's going to, we're going to have to to answer to our sins. Uh, Psalm 12, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So he's going to rise because of what's going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. The poverty situation. Let's turn to uh, Malachi. He's sick and tired of seeing people suffer. He's tired of seeing 24,000 children dying every day. You think he wants to see that? He takes no pleasure in that. Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, which is this end-time Elijah, whoever he is. Uh, we know that John the Baptist fulfilled this, but it's talking about another one. And he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight. It's talking about the Messiah. And behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. And then I just wanted to drop down here one, into verse 5. 
And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hiring and his wages. And that's what's going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. We are being oppressed in this country and worldwide by our wages. The widow and the fatherless. You think he doesn't know what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? He's prophesied through his prophets what's going on. Nothing gets past him. And he knows exactly what's going on right now. This, this verse proves it. He says he's against the false swears and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages. That is exactly what's going on right now. And the widow and the fatherless and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. That's the reason why he's coming back. One of the major reasons why he's coming back. Corporations. If you go to www.globalissues.org again and go to the section on the website, this excellent website, and look at the rise of corporations, do you know that of the 100 largest economies in the world, 51 are corporations, are businesses, while only 49 are countries? That only confirms this scripture in Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It states, the rich rules over the poor. These multinational companies or corporations rule over the poor, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they do. That's what they do. Proverbs 22. And this has been going on for years. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And that's what's going on in the global economy today. Um, I'm going to explain this again in the best way I can here, what's going on. And I'm going to talk about what I didn't talk about in that last week is multinational corporations, which, as I stated to you, um, 51 are corporations, while only 49 are, as far as the 100 largest economies in the world, they are dominated by corporations not countries. So that should tell you what's really going on here. Now, as I explained to you last week, the Federal Reserve Bank is not a government bank. It's a private bank. And the Federal Reserve Bank was created in 1913. The income tax was created in 1913, too, just when the Federal Reserve Bank was created. What has been going on since then is the government oppressing us and overtaxing us and this Federal Reserve Bank is owned and guided and controlled by the elite of the world, the rich, as described in Proverbs 22, verse 7. They own the Federal Reserve Bank. And what the government has done since 1913, they have loaned money at interest to the United States government. And what the government does is levies or collects income taxes to pay interest on the debt. So the American people are taxed, we pay the taxes, the taxes go back to the federal government, and the federal government pays the Federal Reserve Bank. So that's how they pay on the interest. And the Federal Reserve Bank issues U.S. Treasury Department bills or notes. In other words, you owe us, and so all the currency that we have are IOUs, IOU papers. That's why it's called a note. Its value is really nothing. It's an IOU. That's what it is. 
Uh, it used to be backed by silver and gold, but it's not anymore. No one knows in Fort Knox whether or not we even have gold there. All right, and to explain what inflation is, inflation is simply increasing the money supply. Now, the Constitution of the United States states that only Congress, only Congress shall coin and regulate money, not the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a, a private bank. So they are in violation of the Constitution, and, and Mr. Ron Paul, and you can Google his name, R-O-N-P-A-U-L. He's written a good book in the Fed, which I highly recommend you get, but also go to his website. He explains this in detail so you can understand about the money supply. Anyway, we have been printing dummy money, basically, for, for several years, especially in the 1960s and, and the 70s and, and definitely in the 80s. We've been printing dummy money for several years now. All right, and the reason why no one noticed what was going on because it didn't really have have the kind of catastrophic uh, consequences as 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 is occurring right now. But um, when you increase the money supply, as we're doing right now, it's not backed up by any silver or gold. It increases inflation, and then what the the Fed has done is lower interest rates. If they don't lower the int- if they if they increase the interest rates, then they would just totally devastate the economy. So what they are doing right now is lowering. So it's only either way it's going to devastate the economy. But when they lower the interest rates, in other words, uh, how much you're going to make on the dollar, it's going to delay the inevitable. That's all it's doing. It's kind of like you have a bullet wound, right? And the bullet's not taken out. You just patch it up. That's what's going on right now with the economy. That is the truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, what I'm telling you. And, and uh, we need to, to understand that as long as they continue to print money like they're doing, uh, it's going to eventually lead to increasing prices. Food prices have increased already. Just type in food prices have increased in the United States. Just type that in Google if you need proof. Uh, it, it's very difficult to live and survive now for the middle class and, of course, for the poor. The, the unfortunate uh, 37 million poor, poor in this country right now, in this filthy rich country, there's no reason why one person in this country, in this wealthy country, with a gross domestic product of $14 trillion, with a T, while anyone who wants to work should not, not have enough to eat. It just totally proves how wicked we are as a nation. Um, I have this information from feedingamerica.com. That's feedingamerica.com. I'm going to read a few headlines here on this brochure that uh, the head of the organization has written me. Uh, she stated that unemployment rises, unemployment rise causes widespread need for food. This article is by Jeff Kolke, um, written in Rockford. It says a number of hungry people who turned to food pantries exploded in 2009. A hunger in America 2010 study has found it, or found. And those who are going hungry may not be who you think they are. A food bank. Chief Executive Officer said that as poverty and unemployment has spread throughout the nation and in Illinois, many of those who turn to local pantries may never have had to seek help before. It's a, it says it is a problem. All of us need to be aware of it, and it isn't going to go away next week. So many people in the community don't realize how desperate the fallout is from the unemployment number. Yes, I can definitely vouch for that. More and more of their neighbors are in need of food assistance, and I just explained to you who your neighbor is. Smith, who visited the Rockford Register Star editorial board on Thursday, said that his folks mobilized for those in need in Haiti after a devastating earthquake. There remains an urgent need here. 
So there's an urgent need there as it is in Haiti right now, those poor people in Haiti that we should be praying for every day. Demand for food grows with rising poverty. We should call it what it is, America's shame. America's shame. A new hunger in America 2010 report shows that 37 million people, one in eight, receive emergency food each year through the nation's network of food banks and the agencies they serve. The hungry include 14 million children and nearly 3 million senior citizens. 3 million senior citizens. In a nation of unprecedented wealth. That's confirmed by the United Nations report I read to you earlier today, earlier in this program. This is a national shame, and it is. And we will be judged for it, ladies and gentlemen. You can bank on that, unless we repent. Now, let's get into these corporations or these multinational corporations. Now, these multinational corporations, this is, what they, this is their sentiment or their feeling. They want to eliminate a country's laws and currency to make things better for them. There are these rich bankers that own the Federal Reserve Bank and the other reserve banks throughout the world. And so what they do, they get cheap labor for more profits. And, and so these multinational corporations are going around the world hiring uh, foreigners for maybe a, a dollar an hour or cheaper than that to manufacture their goods so that they can make the most profits. Now, what this does is destroy national economies because the citizen is negated in that particular nation for very cheap labor overseas. This country, the United States, has suffered tremendously from outsourcing. All these jobs are going overseas, and that's causing one of the major contributors of this unemployment situation that we have right now. Corporations don't want to pay people what they're worth. They want to make as much money as they can, so they're going overseas to be able to continue to be cheap. They want, they want the highest production. I'm not saying all companies like this, but especially these multinational corporations are. They want to they get the best production, but they, want, they don't want to pay for it. That's what's going on right now, and that's what God is talking about in Malachi, oppressing the hireling of his wages. That's exactly what's going on. So this is the rich versus the poor, um, just as Gerald Salente states, we have the largest, and other sources, we have the largest inequality in the world in the United States. And other co uh, countries are following our pattern. And what's going on is that the middle class, they're not rich, they're not poor, are being destroyed by this. This systematic destruction that is described in Proverbs 30, verse 14, where we're devouring the poor, the people that are middle class, those that aren't very rich, off the earth. Off the earth. Now, these multinational corporations, they support the politicians that will benefit them. So Obama would not have become president of the United States if he didn't support what the multinational corporations want him to do. Okay, he, they, Each president ever since Kennedy that's gotten in there has been influenced by these multinational corporations. They manipulate and control them and tell them what they do, what they need to do. And they say, hey, you're not going to get elected unless you do what we tell you to do. Now, I'm trying to break this down in the simplest of ways so you can understand. I went through a lot of material, and this is the simplest way I can break this down. Now, there's another organization that you must be aware of, and you can Google this. You can search them on uh, YouTube, the Council of Foreign Relations. Okay, type in the Council of Foreign Relations. The Council of Foreign Relations is a network of super rich people or influential people that their common goal is to rule the world. 
okay? And you're not going to hear this, hear this from CNN, ABC, CBS, because they control all those uh, media outlets. They control all of that, okay? These people are the richest people and the most influential people in the world. Uh, either they're the richest or they're one of the most influential. And, and this is the Council of Foreign Relations. And the Council of Foreign Relations has everything to do with the prophesied beast that's going to rise, the New World Order, or it may be called another name uh, soon. Um, I have a call here. Hello? Yes. Um, uh, I just want to add a question. Uh, I know ahead. that um, we had talked about um, this law that's been passed to prevent people from getting uh, pay, payday loans and and also about, um, you know, being able to get uh, mortgage loans and uh, car loans. Um, I just wanted you to kind of make people aware of that. Well, go ahead, maybe they you, can, can, you can go ahead and tell them that yourself. Go ahead. And maybe they can go ahead and uh, maybe check with their senator in their area. Because mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a, a law that's going to be passed. It's already passed in the House. It's going to the Senate. Well, in Ohio, but they, they're going to be doing that. They're, other states are, try, are following uh suit, and they also um, are thinking about doing the same thing uh, in other states. So, yeah, that, that's something that they're going to stop payroll loans. They're, they're under the assumption that everyone uh, abuses payroll loans, and that's not true. Uh, payday loans, rather, because me and my wife used to payday loans. <laughs> so, and, well, uh, not only that, so, you know, people so, are trying to get car loans, they're trying right. to get home, loans for their homes, they're exactly. trying to get loans for various types of things to co- consolidate their bills. And if Congress is able to limit that to two to four loans a year, mm-hmm. is I think they're saying four to six loans a year, right. you know, that's really going to oppress people. See, and I, I people need to be contact, contacting their senators in their area and just make sure, you know, that let them know that, hey, we are against that, that we should not be controlled in that way. They're trying to control the people is what exactly. they're trying to do. And I, and, and I think that we need to stand up against that as soon as possible and contact our senators in our areas and our states and let them know that we are against that we do and we are aware of what's going on. I don't think Cause the that's what they government. you know that's what they're betting on is that people are asleep or are they in entertainment. They're well, not they paying are. attention. They are. I mean people are that, that's the reason why I I I you know I see what's going on. I'm not stupid here. And so many things are going on right now. I, I'm focusing right now on the global economy, but next week I'm going to focus on Jerusalem. I'm going to focus on Many different things that are happening right now that people need to be aware of. This is this is it. It's over with. You know, I know it is. Okay. Well, and I do know if, we, we, if we, we're we, not we, able we, to get loans, if they right. can control us in that way, right. that's really going to be a lot of oppressions. Because right. I mean, how can you survive if you're not able to get a loan to to cut down on your bills or to be able to buy a car or uh, get a house? I mean, that's really oppressive. And they're trying to control us. By passing laws, you know, and if we don't stand up, if we don't contact our Senate and let them know that we are against that type of law, not to vote for it, then, you know, we're going to sit back and and be oppressed more. They need to contact their senator in their state. This is a state thing. They're not going to, as far as I know, the federal government is not going to pass anything like that. This is each individual senator, a senator in their state they need to contact. You know, each state also has a government, and they also have a Senate and a House of Representatives for that state, okay? And that's what is going to be handled statewide, okay? So that, that's what they need. They need to contact their senator, the Ohio state senator, 
uh, in their state, not the senator that would go to uh, the White House. Okay, this is talking about the senator and their Ohio, like in our situation, the Ohio Senate. They mm-hmm. have senators there, just like Obama was an Illinois senator for the Illinois government before he became a federal senator or a United mm-hmm. States senator. Okay, mm-hmm. so I just want to clarify that. And also, okay, I, I just to... wanted to make people aware of that. That's all I wanted. Okay. Right, uh-huh. no bye bye. Okay, and I just wanted to mention that, again, I think I mentioned this earlier, that we are $74 trillion in debt. That's our true picture, ladies and gentlemen, $74 trillion, even if everybody pays, uh, I think, all all their income, we would not be able to solve the debt. In other words, it's just a real serious problem. And and the solution is there. We need to just stop spending money we don't have. And work on cutting our debt. It's going to take several years to get rid of it, but it can be done, particularly if the whole world combines and, and helps. But, I mean, $74 trillion is a lot of money, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Now, in closing, I recommend that you look at these videos. These videos are free. God is providing this information. He prophesied through the prophet Daniel that we will live in a time where knowledge shall be increased and money shall, uh, many shall run to and fro, in other words, seeking knowledge trying to seek the answers. That time is here now, ladies and gentlemen, through the the, uh, the Internet. And right now, and, and, and the CFR and the elite, they're trying to to control even what we see on the Internet. But the Internet right now is free uh, for you to explore and find out the truth. And I implore you to do that while you still can. And I recommend that you view the following videos. The, the Invisible Empire, just type in Invisible Empire, and that video will explain to you what the New World Order is and what it's planning to do. And you just simply type in the Google search engine, Invisible Empire. Another movie for you to look at and explain the income tax situation, the American, American freedom or fascism. So American freedom or fascism, A-M-E-R-C-I-A-N, freedom or fascism. Please look up that. Just type that into the Google search engine and you should be able to come up with a free movie. It says American Freedom to Fascism. I'm sorry. That's F as in Frank A-S-C-I-S-M. Go ahead and, and type in that America Freedom to Fascism and you'll be able to see a good documentary with plenty of facts to prove to you what the IRS is really about. Um, T-H-E-M-O-V-I-E dot com, I-U-S-A, the movie dot com, W-W-I-O-U-S-A, the movie dot com. Please look at that and then this website, which should be 2010.org, but it's 2008. T is org. And last but not least, The Money Masters, How International Bankers Gain Control Over America. You may be able to find this video just by typing the Money Masters, but um, just type in the Money Masters, how international bankers gain control of America, and you should come up with a video on Google or YouTube that explains you how money really works and how the international bankers gain control of America and the world. So these are some real good videos that I suggest that you look at, and, and um, I've looked at these videos, 
and, and it's very educational. I need to complete. I think I missed a section in The Invisible Empire, but I've looked at the majority of it, I think. I had to look at it again, but it's an excellent movie, The Invisible Empire, or Invisible. I think it's The Invisible Empire or Invisible Empire. Please look at that movie first because it really is a good summation of oh, how we got to the point we are at now. And then another good movie to look at, too, is, is all these movies are good, really. You should look at every single one of them, really, and educate yourself and, and wake up and, and, and understand what's going on right now. It's very serious that, that what's going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. We have to get prepared. You know, I, I just was looking at a video today. There's a possibility there may be a, um, a um, biological chemical attack by Iran this summer. So if that happens, that's, that's going to change the world as we as we uh, know it. You know, so we we need to get prepared for things, and we, we can't assume that we're going to be able to live this la la land that we're living in, this fantasy land, forever. We we, we can't do that, and we we have to understand what Babylon is. What is in the remaining six minutes that I have, or a few minutes left? What is Babylon? Babylon is a religious, geographical, and political system that will soon be destroyed. So that's what Babylon is, ladies and gentlemen, and and uh, we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of the fact that, um, and I'm going to talk about what Babylon is in detail in the future, but Babylon is a religious, geographical, and political system that will soon be destroyed. I'm going to leave it at that, and may God bless and keep you, and I will speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 